my name is Elaine Brewer-White. I am a clay sculptor and I'm passionate about all things creative. This podcast is about talking to all kinds of artists, the how and the why they create. I'm talking to painters, poets, actors, musicians, novelists, clothing designers, leather makers, jewelers, potters, and there is often wine involved. The goal is to celebrate art and artists and all their contributions that enrich our culture and inspire us. On to episode number three. Okay, I'd like to welcome Juji Gardner, our first writer to Creatives Uncorked. Welcome, Juji, and we're going to we're going to share a bottle of Red Rooster, which is actually a very fine wine. I've had this several times. I got very excited when I saw it, and then I opened your beautiful card, <laughs> and it said, "Do not open until <laughs> our discussion." I'm like, "What?" I know. Sorry. I uh, know. <laughs> So we're un we're untwisting or uncorking. We're untwisting. We're okay. untwisting and corking, and I'm already got mine. In oh a wow! Okay. So, so I'm I am pouring it into a special cup, which I can tell you about at some point if you're interested. Yeah. So you've got a ceramic cup there. Well, I we have a habit of collecting. Um, we love drinking out of ceramic cups. It became kind of a thing uh, several years back where we were at craft the the culture crawl. culture crawl and yeah. we started going oh you know like we started picking up these because we like drinking wine out of them and made a point of picking up ones we liked that had perfect feel but this one is my absolute favorite it mm-hmm. is um our very last trip yes. we ever went on yeah. was to newfoundland uh, i guess almost two years ago it'll be on my bucket list yeah. and i'd never been there yeah. and we were going to go to ireland and couldn't afford it and we thought yeah. well it's mini ireland right yeah and we'd never been yeah. So in uh, a place called Woody's Point, which I had heard about because they host a yearly writers festival mm-hmm. um, that I'm dying to go to. These things ever happen there. again. Yeah. So we went to, which is an actual funky little crazy town. So it was very strange because I walked into this little coffee shop and uh, I ran into a writer, uh, Miranda Hill, who is the uh, a writer who is Lawrence Hill, Book of Negroes, oh right, partner, wife, yes. and they have a place there because they Lawrence went to uh, the festival one year and they loved it so much they spend the entire summer there even though they live in Hamilton. So we ran into them as coffee shop and she goes, "Let me introduce you to the owner." So this is a co- coffee shop, wine bar, nosh place, and ceramic studio, which oh. you would appreciate. So the young woman who runs this place has her open ceramic studio in the back cups platters and she makes a mug uh, for all the people who come regularly and drink there they she makes a mug they buy it and then the mug is hung there with their name it's an individually crafted mug with their something about their personality in it yeah and then she had all these wonderful things for sale there and so I fell in love with this it's got salmon or cod. I guess yeah. it's Newfoundland. It might be cod. Probably cod. Yeah. I drink wine out of this at dinner every night. Oh. And my husband got a pink. My husband got the pink one, <laughs> which has a, which has a little kid in a like a big snowsuit mitts yeah. like walking away from you at the back. And we oh. adore we adore these. Oh and we just God. love so the place yeah. she has her shop in. Yeah. She inherited from, it's right on the water and it has a dock going out. So you could mm-hmm. sit on the dock mm-hmm. and she inherited it from her grandfather who oh. sold uh, ropes and nets and fishing equipment there. Oh, oh And now wow. she's an artisan and has the coffee wine bar ceramic yeah. studio, also stuff from local artisans. Oh. And she's 
you know, probably late twenties, maybe early thirties oh by gosh. now, but I need to go there. I'm but oh, okay, that's the space that was yeah. a craftsman's space. Like yeah. he made these things and sold them to fishermen. And right. then his granddaughter is doing this amazing thing. He's a maker of a different kind. Yeah. yeah. So I just thought that's really that neat. Is... That's about, that's about creativity, oh, generational yeah. creativity. Yeah. yeah. And, and really life affirming. And also because there's clay in the story, I'm just like, mm. I'm all in. <laughs> Well, I thought you would love that, but I'm not, I'm just bringing it out because of this. This is what I drink my That's wine out of. Your wine. Yeah, See, okay, yeah. so let's promote that. Drink wine out of ceramic mugs or cups. Yes. Okay. Yeah, a little, they're perfect. They're perfect. They are perfect. So, Juji, back to you. <laughs> I like talking about yeah. other people's creativity, <laughs> which is... But, but so, as it should be for people be. we're who, all yeah. about we're yeah the world is about stories and that's why you're a writer and that's why I want to do this podcast is to you know it's all about story generating but you started out I've known you for or met you a very long time ago but you were a performer at one time for a short time or I took that? you know what I I studied improv with Keith okay. Johnston theater okay. sports at university and I took dance and I took did puppetry and I did playwriting okay. which was more my nature I, I've always been more a writer type but right but I did a minor in drama and yeah. uh but mostly <laughs> I I studied political science but I ended up working at um the gauntlet at University of Calgary and the University of Calgary student newspaper and then be, you know became arts editor and then the year after I graduated I stayed on to co-edit it oh. so my journalism career kind of launched out of that like I ended up getting a career out of something that I had just done for fun yeah. at university oh. and then it was just onwards from that but yeah. I'd always been writing I remember I, I wish I could find this notebook because I found recently found some older notebooks but not from this far back when I was in grade five our teacher read us the lion the witch and the wardrobe out loud oh yes in class mm -hmm. and I was very impressed by this uh, mm -hmm. book I had never heard of and uh, so I took a you know scribbler as we called them I don't know if kids call, even call them scribblers anymore. I don't the even notebooks. Think they write anymore, and so. I started writing my own version of The Lion, Witch, and the oh, Wardrobe. Really? I think, but it wasn't the, yeah. And before that, I'd written some poems for my mom for Easter or Mother's Day that, and I covered the scribbler in like tin foil mm. as like give it this look and uh, wrote some bad poems. <laughs> <laughs> so that, as far back as it goes, I think the bad poems were grade three. And then the little Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe thing was grade five. Oh. It was a really long time after that that I actually published a book. <laughs> yeah. And, and eventually it led to a publication of, how many books have you got published now? Well, I have three now, which yeah. isn't prolific. And an anthology I'm very proud of. It was wonderful working with other creative person. I feel like it's one of the most creative things I've done is create this anthology called Darwin's Bastards Astounding Tales from Tomorrow, which is a sort of speculative fiction cast three years in the future, mm -hmm. 20 years in the future, mm -hmm. a thousand years in the future mm -hmm. by a huge variety of Canadian writers known and unknown. And I, mm -hmm. I, I feel my most happy making book because it's easier to talk about something you're midwife than yeah. something you've birthed because it's like yeah. oh my baby's so beautiful but if you're the midwife or the godmother you can say oh is this child awesome and, and you don't feel like embarrassed or ashamed That's about that so it's easier to talk about how great I think Darwin's <laughs> is than anything I've done but. I don't know I think your children are quite impressive my children are okay <laughs> My children are okay. There's no, there's no uh, black sheep so far. I don't think, or some no. prodigal, prodigal daughter, or anything like that. No, I have. No. There's, there's some things in my first book I would 
prefer never to read again, but that happens to everybody. It was, I was just thinking it was 21 years ago. So oh, yeah. yeah. And you've changed so much. So the perspective is totally different, really. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I dark satirical bahaha. Like I, I think it's kind of morphed and it's had to morph because of, well, my self maturing, I hope. But not that I was immature before, but uh, there, it was also to do with what I was reacting against. I think I used to think I didn't have a sense of place, but I realized looking at these three books is in my very first book, I was working against sense of place. Like I'd, a lot of the stories were, came out of being annoyed with Vancouver after moving here <laughs> from Toronto via Calgary, Ottawa, Toronto, and then Vancouver. Yeah. And it was like, so it was really like kind of taking on Vancouver as an outsider, yeah. I think that's very much in, in all the anxious girls on earth. And, and then my next collection of stories, Better Living Through Plastic Explosives, yeah. I was more, I had been here a while and it was, it was more a love hate. Yeah. And then in my, in my novel, The Beguiling, I've, I think the city and the environment has been accepted and yeah, it's, it's just, I it was thinking about like that, just thinking about talking to you like yeah. well have I changed at all what what's happened and I thought if if anybody looked at my um depiction of Vancouver yeah and BC and picked kind of pieces it, it has really changed which I find really interesting so yeah because I don't see after reading the beguiling I thought oh okay well she in character Lucy chose to eventually land in that city or live in that city right but for a bizarre reason, yes. <laughs> not because she said, oh, Vancouver will be groovy. It's like my cousin died like this yeah. gothic Baroque death here. And yeah. I'm going to see if I could figure out why it happened. And yeah. when I told a neighbor across the alley, like trying to describe my book, he said, so it's a detective story. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> no, 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 not even, but <laughs> oh, it. It's yeah. such a great ride. I mean, okay, so I just want to backtrack a little bit. So Globe and Mail voted this one of the top 100 books to read in 2020. Do you know, can I say something boasty? Yes. All three of my books and Darwin's Bastards all made the Globe 100 list. Wow. That's that's fantastic. <gasps> that oh doesn't mean God. anything except that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it means like, it's a bit of a, you know, it doesn't mean you get rich off it. But it's acknowledgement. It's, well, it's acknowledgement, which is yeah. nice, right? Yeah. Yeah, that, it means that's like the first thing we need. We need to have confirmation that somebody yes. else thinks our idea was a good yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. You don't, I mean, there are those writers who say, oh, if I didn't write, I would burst and I don't care if anybody sees it. Uh, that might yeah. be true for them, yeah. but I am sort of like, okay, if nobody reads it, yeah. it's like the tree falls in the forest, you know, <laughs> like, did it fall? Did it even grow? You know? yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, you've had a lot of accolades for the latest book. Really it's, exciting. Uh, it's been Yes, because it was a very, my other two collections of stories, by the time I was done and they were coming out, yeah. I had, I kind of knew them really well. And, and I had more, I knew they were good, whether anyone liked them or not. I knew they mm -hmm. were really good, mm -hmm. but the novel was so weird and a new thing for me mm -hmm. that I had just back and forth through the whole writing, like mm -hmm. so many misgivings. And then even coming out into the world, like a few things off the top were like, very um, gratifying. Mm -hmm. The right people read them ah, and but, said the right thing. Right. So that made a big difference. Yeah, that really does. If you are not uh, someone who's aware of your writing, it's this book is not what you would 
call a linear read, right? Because oh. it goes back and forth and up and down. And but I love it because it's got so much going on in it. And that you want to describe in a nutshell what what see the main character, what happens to her? Yeah, I can do that. But I just wanted to pick up on one thing you said, the back and forth and up and down. Yeah. And I had a wonderful experience last week uh, with the um, Irish Writers Center in Dublin had me as their book of the month off. Oh. And one of the right people there, and I just heard the structurally, she thought of it as being like snakes and ladders. And oh. Thought, oh my God, it's so brilliant. Like, is that good or what? But just, good. just in a nutshell. So Lucy is a woman who worked as a journalist in her younger years and then her worked in like film development. She has a child. She's married to some pompous British lawyer. But her um, best friend when she was a kid and mm -hmm. right through till she was an adolescent was her only cousin Zoltan in Calgary. And they were both only children. Mm -hmm. And they kind of grew apart, but then came back together. So, but this is giving nothing away because it happens in the first few pages is her her cousin dies in this really bizarre gothic grotesque mm -hmm. fashion that is almost inconceivable and when she sees him this is before he dies it's not yeah. so much a deathbed confession because he lives for a few more months but he tells her what really happened to him mm -hmm. which nobody else knows mm -hmm. and she's like when she she flies home to Toronto where she lives and then he dies. He lives in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. She flies back to Vancouver immediately the morning after his funeral. Yes. Um, yes. And let's take a drink for that. I saw yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this strange thing happens that takes over her life is complete strangers start divulging their darkest secrets to her. They, they start confessing to her. So in the hotel, she's in the Sylvia Hotel on English Bay in Vancouver. And she's in the elevator and some guy tells her, confessions he's a mountain climber and this <laughs> egregious thing he did way back and then she's in the bathroom at the airport flying home and this woman in the next cubicle as they're both peeing tells her this crazy lie she told her children about why their father left and but then it, it gets bigger and bigger there's murder there's incest yeah. there's crazy shit but that's the beginning of it so she yeah. becomes kind of this lay confessor this, yeah. this confession magnet this kind of human wailing wall so that's basically yeah. the premise yeah so that's all set up in the first yeah. chapter and then each chapter is a confession of someone she encounters yeah. plus something revealed of her own yes so, so that's feeling a bit more about her too and it does move around in time but yeah. I didn't realize it was that crazy till people started telling Oh, I know. Me. I like it because okay. there, there's enough. Power. Yeah, each embedded confession is like, yeah. has its own arc. It has an arc. Yeah, you can see that for sure. And it's also got really dark humor. It's not, it's not like it's terribly. No, no, it's, it's because I am a satirist at heart, but yeah. this book is less satire than my previous two. It's yeah. got the dark humor, but it's yeah. less satirizing something because it's trying to get at the heart of something, yeah. but it's, it's that tragedy and comedy you know the masks have to be viewed together mm -hmm. because if it's all just tragedy mm -hmm. it, be, it it could become melodrama mm -hmm. and if it's all just comedy it could just seem float off into the yeah. stratosphere like a helium balloon but right. together like tragedy gives comedy gravitas and yeah. comedy gives tragedies uh you know sort of that wake-up call mm -hmm. you know just don't wallow too much mm -hmm. because it's just that's life life is yeah laughing and then a punch in the gut the punch in the gut and then laughter yeah. right <laughs> so that's my modus operandi with I've tried that with 
that's what I try to achieve with everything I write. So, oh, so that's a conscious decision. It's conscious. It's yeah. very conscious. And, oh, yes, very conscious. Okay. And and to calibrate that, like it's it's a fine line sometimes because right. I never want to be farcical. No, I okay. don't particularly enjoy farce. Mm-hmm. So it's always a fine line of dark humor that works but doesn't denigrate mm-hmm. empathy element. No, there's you there's know, something so. informing about the humor too, though. Yeah, and she's a character that that is like she's she's not a mother by nature, even though she has a child. She yeah, has- and that's a good way of putting mm-hmm. it. You can bear a child and not be maternal and not be a mother because you don't yeah. mother that child. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Which is going against everything that every everything that the world tells us to be, and she's also fighting against those norms. Like she treats it rather cavalierly, but she realizes that from the outside, it appears that she's a freak. Like this is not what women do. Like men leave, men leave their one year old or two year old child. Women don't do it. And I was reacting against that idea that men leave and it, it's not that it's okay. Like people say, oh, that's too bad. But they don't say, oh my God, how could he? Like, right? Exactly. Exactly. Part of it was that, like, it just annoyed me that. And then the mother leaves and she's somehow twisted evil. But the guy, men leave and they're not twisted and evil and somehow unnatural, right? Right? And that's what I liked about her. I never really say that in the book, but that's that's what made me do that. That's what made me impose that element upon it, which came later. It wasn't initially part of the book that she had a child and left the No, it was all going to be confessions. And so the initial concept kind of morphed. It did morph into something else. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really like that too, though, when when the character isn't fully formed. So you're sort of starting in the middle and working way backwards and forwards. Yeah, I don't kind of say this is what happens. And this, it's the idea I work with, I'm more concept driven, like this Mm -hmm. concept of confession. Mm -hmm. And so this setup, here's this person, but her character really changed and developed through the writing and the eight years, basically eight years for this one. Yeah, so different things, eight months working on almost full time after I, they wanted more Zoltan, because I kind of left him behind, like I'd reference him, right? He was the rock. So yeah, and just plopping him back in and making him react off her at different ages uh-huh. was a really good suggestion by my editors. It wouldn't have occurred to me, but to keep him alive through it in the sense of in flashback, right? So like when you're saying you're writing, being a novelist is a really solitary activity. And it is, I guess, up to a certain point. And then you're working with editors and people that are having a say about your baby. Yeah. So yeah, I don't show. Like? Yeah, not many people. The only people who read this and I know people who show their work to other people. And I used to early on, but uh, I have one writer friend, Charlotte Gill, Ooh. and she's a good friend of mine. And she read it in like three because we do a writing retreat together. Oh, well, it's okay. not really a writing tr- retreat. Like I she lives in Powell River and I go oh. up there and I, <laughs> I I work in a room and then we get together. For, <laughs> then we start drinking and eating and sharing our writing. And then I have to say my son, Dexter, who is now 21, was seminal to this. Like first he was like, mom, you're such a good writer, but no one's going to read your work if you don't write a novel soon. Cracking the whip, cracking the whip. And he was my first reader on this. And then he read the revision as well. And and he was only like 19 and 20 when he read it a guy he made good comments and he loved the right things and I thought oh my god I've written a book for 19 year old (laughs) 19 year old like emo boys 
oh yay <laughs> but anyway no he was he was my best beta reader and that was it so nobody but my agent and my editor read it yeah before then, it came but came out yeah oh wow so it didn't go through that many hands but it went yeah. through good hands yeah so it's all about trust isn't it really yes definitely you have to trust their opinion and you have to know when to go they're right and they're wrong right and if you really strongly think they're wrong you make your case and in the end most editors will say well it's your book I yeah I've done a lot of editing and I do editing for a living now mostly fiction mm -hmm. some nonfiction but stories novels mm -hmm. that's what I've been doing for eight years and really? before that I was and before that I was teaching at UBC in the off-res MFA program oh. so I've done tons and tons of editing and lots of my writers that I work through the programs have yeah. had books come out but I, I'm I think I'm way more intrusive and hard-ass than editors have been on me which oh, is, but really? everybody has a style right yeah yeah. So I'm actually relieved, like part of you wants the hard touch, yeah. but okay, I'll tell you an interesting thing. So after all that, then you get the copy editor and my God, this guy, this guy did my previous book as well. Mm -hmm. Fantastic guy, his name's Sean Oakley. And mm -hmm. he saved me so much freaking embarrassment because he would catch things and say, are you sure? And oh, wow. it, it's so creative. He knew so much, like, wow. you know, it was, it was sort of like fact checking right? Yeah. Like if you write something for a magazine, like, so, you know, that's the kind of thing they catch. Okay. And then there's a proofreader who also caught like amazing stuff. And then there's the whole designer and they show you the design right. stuff and then you right. comment. So when people say to me, should I self-publish? Mm. I'm like, if you want to <laughs> either pay someone to do this, 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 or do it all yourself and have it be this mess, mm -hmm. go ahead. So mm -hmm. I know that it's a thing these days, but in a million years, even if nobody accepted my next book, I don't think I would self-publish. Really? So many people who are so good at their job that do right. each element of these things. But do you think people self-publish because they have such a hard time finding a publisher? Some people do that, mm -hmm. but I think some people give up too easily. Okay. But I also think some people, and this is out there, they see certain successes in self-publishing. Right. So they think they'll get more money. Ah. And if you actually want to do all these things yourself or pay someone to do them yeah. and do marketing and distribution yourself, yeah. unless you're already a known quantity, yeah, that's actually not going to happen. Yeah. Like it's a fluke when it happens. Yeah. You get the 50 shades of gray woman. Yeah. You get Julia and Julia. Yeah. Like you get the wealthy barber, oh, the wealthy barber. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was self-published. You get uh, Terry Fallis. He, he, his first book was self-published, mm -hmm. but like how many examples can you think of compared to how many books are published? No, that's so true. And then all these people, they don't want to keep self-publishing. Right. They, they are really like, yay, I have a publisher, yeah. right? Yeah. Anyway, that's just my spiel and my warning to want to be author in case people want advice. It's like the CBC <laughs> afternoon phone in show. Yeah. <laughs> Say no. Yeah. Oh, but there's so, circumstances that can work in like, yeah. you know, in certain kinds of nonfiction or guidebooks or sure. things where even you already have a successful blog and you have a yeah. following like there's You're all kinds of stuff. But for fiction, yeah. are you yeah. kidding me? You can count it on one hand. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I, I've been warned. So what makes you curious nowadays? Are you working on something new or? Yes. So Ooh. everything makes me curious, but that doesn't mean I'm good at working on stuff. I'm a very bad role model because I don't have a work ethic. Okay. <laughs> but I have, I have two kinds of things on the go. Three, really. Um, and one is the next novel thing, which is as of two days ago, 
morphed for the third time not the general Mm. idea of it but the how of it like how I could do it I don't even want to I don't want to say what it is no no don't but but but, working that's it's it's like you're you're feeling charged up you want to get well yeah well where ideas come from um Mm. is always interesting to people and it's interesting because in my novel that just came out I I can't remember where the idea came from but when I look through both my books of stories I actually remember 100% where each idea came from Mm. but the next thing I'm working on, I'll tell you where the ideas came from, but I won't tell you what the thing is. Okay. okay. Mm. So it, a lot of my ideas come from nonfiction mm. elements. So there's three things that led to my idea for the next book I want to work on, the next novel book I want to work on, also collection. Three elements came together to give mm. me the notion of this project, which uh, I have been thinking about for about a year. So overlapping with finishing the big island and one was a documentary I saw when I was in Ireland I was international short story fellow in Cork Mm. four years ago and it's called Angry Buddha and it's a documentary made by a German filmmaker about a Hungarian Buddhist Roma guy who starts a school for Roma children in this one township because they can't make it in the local school. And the other element was a fascinating article I read in the New Yorker, even before that, like maybe about five years ago. Okay. Um, And it's a, it was a very young, very right wing, very anti-Semitic member of um, the Hungarian kind of paramilitary fascist government to put contextualize this I'm of Hungarian background so mm-hmm. but I've never written except in this book a little bit about Hungarian stuff in the beguiling but this is something that's been brewing okay. so there was this fascinating piece in the New Yorker about this guy and then somehow it revealed that he has Jewish background mm. and he's been mm. this fervently mm-hmm. Nazi-ish kind of young member of parliament and he has to First, he denies it, and then he goes and goes looks at it, and then he has to deal with it. And then the last element was, and it's a little more recent, but about three years ago. And you know, when the migrant crisis was really cresting, and mm-hmm. people were surging across Europe, mm-hmm. and in Hungary, they they decided to put up those barbed wire things, yeah. and there was that story, and it, it circulated everywhere because of the image. There was a female police officer who kicked a migrant child, like mm-hmm. as they were running for the fence. Mm-hmm. So those three things came together to create a character in my mind oh. that I wanted to write my next book about. Okay. okay. And then I thought of how, well, how I want to do the book. Yeah. And then about a year later, I thought, no, I can't do it like that. I don't want to do it like that. I'm going to do it like this. Like okay. when I mean the how, like I was initially wanting to do all from her point of view. Yeah. But with a weird twist, like writing some of it in Hungarian and then translating it. Mm, Okay. And then I thought, do I really want to do that? It sounds cool. I could get a grant for it. But, (laughs) and then I was thinking about books I liked where the main character never appears and never speaks, doesn't have a point of view, but other people tell their story from different points of view. And there's... Yeah, I love that kind of thing. There's a very, uh, there's a wonderful book by the German writer Heinrich Bull, and and it's called Group Portrait with Lady. It's sort of a, an assessment of post-war Germany 
Mm. You know, and all that goes with that. And there's this woman at the heart of it, Lana, I think her name is, I don't have it in front of me now, but um, searching for, you know, who she is. And she's mm-hmm. so different depending who gives reports about her. Oh, Wow. And so I was thinking, I want to do it that way. And I still might. And then two days ago, I just finished reading this book that's fascinating to me. Ever since I was in Ireland, I've been very interested in Irish history and mm-hmm. Irish politics. And yeah. I never made it to the North, like I was in the Republic. But I've been really interested in the troubles and how it affected people. Mm-hmm. So there's this amazing book, Say Nothing, um, mm-hmm. a true story of murder and memory in Northern Ireland. It was a New York top 10 book in the New York Times and one of Barack Obama's favorite books of the year and got rave reviews. It's a New Yorker writer. Mm-hmm. It's this huge nonfiction. But wow. I just, I plowed through this in four days. I was mesmerized by it. But just two days ago, near the very end, there's this quote, Jerry Adams, who was the head of the IRA, which he right. denies, and then he was Sinn Féin, you know, yeah. Jerry Adams, longtime comrade in both war and peace, had died of a rare genetic disease. Martin McGuinness was not a terrorist, Adams intoned to applause in a speech at McGuinness's grave. Martin McGuinness was a freedom fighter. Mm. And then I marked it with these little, from mm. Lee Valley has the, have these wonderful copper, mm-hmm. copper things. And I gasped and I got that weird tingly feeling in my stomach and it gave me another idea of how to write this book oh wonderful oh that's exciting I don't even you know I don't believe in people stealing ideas so I'm going to tell you what the idea is because I probably can't pull it off but my I I ran to my office after reading that I marked it I ran to my office and I made some notes yeah and said oh because it's still the same idea the same character but I'm trying to figure out how this will be shaped, like who's telling the story. And I thought, whoa, because depending on whose point of view, the person could be a revolutionary or a terrorist, a freedom fighter or a terrorist, right? It's always who's doing the telling and the looking in many of these cases, particularly in in Northern Ireland, but in a lot of these other cases. Some are more cut and dried, I think. Like but nobody would and, call themselves a terrorist. They think even the terrorists. Yes, that, no, even they, yes, right. they don't say, hi, we're terrorists. No, we're, no they don't. Okay. So my idea was more like a creative solution. Yeah. It was my idea from that thing was a flip book where it's her story is like the terrorist, and then on the other oh, side, the, rev- right. the freedom fighter or the revolutionary. Yeah. And you read halfway and then you flip it and you can read either and way it's and it's a different point of view i think it's brilliant oh, so it's brilliant so hopefully i'll get started on it and patent it it's patent tm tm yeah. trademarked right okay. here on this podcast right here yeah mm-hmm. for sure I mean, that's my third idea of how to write yes idea so i know what i want to do but the how is always really hard so and and it's almost impossible to name that to name the how do you do so and once i really get nailed on the how i can start working through it yes yes i am so excited to. so i just thought oh that just came to me two days ago so i thought it's a great i great way to bring it up like just because of this cross because your thing is about creativity but we're Yes, yeah. you're cre- where does it come from? It comes from mm-hmm. outside you too, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It comes from things and things you see and experience and read. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my ideas come from nonfiction, as I said, mm-hmm. for this particular project. It's mm-hmm. all nonfiction, three nonfiction mm-hmm. elements that have led into me wanting to write this mm-hmm. novel. Because that also, what that idea is to me also about is empathy. 
because when you can understand a character from both sides maybe there are no sides at the end yeah but that's the tough thing because you know i'm thinking i don't know if i want people to have empathy for her oh okay so well, that's something i'm still I, it's going to be <laughs> It's going to be like, she might be like, at least Lucy, people can find her goofy yeah. and charming. Yeah. But yeah. maybe this is just going to be a harsher book. Yeah. Maybe she does something really awful. Yeah. Well, she does. Oh, okay. Well, she is yeah, awful. Speaking a child is pretty but, awful. but she could also be amazing to other people. And we True. all know people like that. Do oh, we not absolutely. know people who are like yeah. wonderful to their grandchildren and completely racist? Yeah. And their grandchildren think they're the greatest thing since yeah. sliced bread. Yeah. And then there's horrible spewing yeah. of vitriol or horrible anti-abortionist mm -hmm. person or... Do you know what I mean? Like, I so who is this, who is this person? We're so this is what, passionate. this is what I want to get at. This is the octopus of this particular project. That is so exciting. I feel it's pretty tough. Taking your time. <laughs> I just want to go, no, go right. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, I can't put pen. I can't even type anything or do much to like, it's, yeah. it, this thing has to gestate a while till yeah. I'm ready to do it. As yeah. you can see, because if I'd yeah. started a year ago when I first had the idea yeah. after I finished my revisions, jumped ahead of how I want to do it so it was premature well that's that is so exciting to be in on the ground level of your <laughs> <laughs> of your next book I'm so excited <laughs> okay well we're we uh, thank you so much for sharing that like that's just thrilling it's just like I feel mm. like we we just gazing at this diamond in a mind that's just ah mm. uh, hopefully uh, that's very exciting but that I know I jumped ahead and kind of jumped no, ahead of what you might have wanted to talk about not, no it's a conversation that's what the mm -hmm. wine's for <laughs> and it yeah, is I yeah. did read I did pour some more <laughs> into my lovely little Newfoundland Newfoundland ceramic cup so Isn't drink that cute wine. but I love your mugs your mugs are nice well you'll be getting one you'll, you'll be getting one very soon so thank <laughs> you so much for being part of this little passion project of mine <laughs> well thank you Judy Gardner that was an incredible conversation. Thank you so much. Again, her debut novel is The Beguiling, published by Penguin Random House. So thanks again for listening. And remember, creativity is intelligence having fun. <laughs>